Good morning. If you would, please uh, grab a Bible, open your Bible, and turn to Ezekiel chapter 18. I'm going to be taking the time to read that entire chapter this morning, and then we will uh, make some observations. So we're going to be looking at Ezekiel chapter 18. Ezekiel 18, starting in verse 1. The word of the Lord came to me again, saying, What do you mean when you use this proverb concerning the land of Israel, saying, The fathers have eaten sour grapes, and the children's teeth are set on edge? As I live, says the Lord God, you shall no longer use this proverb in Israel. Behold, all souls are mine. The soul of the father as well as the soul of the son is mine. The soul who sins shall die. But if a man is just and does what is lawful and right, if he has not eaten on the mountains, nor lifted lifted up his eyes to the idols of the house of Israel, nor defiled his neighbor's wife, nor approached a woman during her impurity, if he has not oppressed anyone, but has restored the debtor his pledge, has robbed no one by violence, but has given his bread to the hungry, and covered the naked with clothing, If he has not exacted usury, nor taken any increase, but has withdrawn his hand from iniquity, and executed true judgment between man and man, if he has walked in my statutes and kept my judgments faithfully, he is just. He shall surely live, says the Lord God. If he begets a son who is a robber, or a shedder of blood, who does any of these things, and does none of those duties, but has eaten on the mountains, or defiled his neighbor's wife, if he has oppressed the poor and needy, robbed by violence, not restored the pledge, lifted his eyes to the idols, or committed abomination, if he has exacted usury, or taken increase, shall he then live? He shall not live. If he has done any of those abominations, he shall surely die. His blood shall be upon him. If, however, he begets a son who sees all the sins which his father has done, and considers but does not do likewise, who has not eaten on the mountains, nor lifted his eyes to the idols of the house of Israel, nor defiled his neighbor's wife, has not oppressed anyone, nor withheld a pledge, nor robbed by violence, but has given his bread to the hungry, and covered the naked with clothing, who has withdrawn his hand from the poor, and not received usury or increase, but has executed my judgments and walked in my statutes, he shall not die for the iniquity of his father. He shall surely live. As for his father, because he cruelly oppressed, robbed his brother by violence, and did what is not good among his people, behold, he shall die for his iniquity. Verse 19. Yet you say... Why should the son not bear the guilt of the father? Because the son has done what is lawful and right and has kept all my statutes and observed them, he shall surely live. The soul who sins shall die. The son shall not bear the guilt of the father, nor the father bear the guilt of the son. The righteousness of the righteous shall be upon himself, and the wickedness of the wicked shall shall be upon himself. But if a wicked man turns from all his sins which he has committed, keeps all my statutes, and does what is lawful and right, he shall surely live. He shall not die. None of the transgressions which he has committed shall be remembered against him. Because of the righteousness which he has done, he shall live. Do I have any pleasure at all that the wicked should die, says the Lord God, and not that he should turn from his ways and live? But when a righteous man turns away from his righteousness and commits iniquity, and does according to all the abominations that the wicked man does, shall he live? All the righteousness which he has done shall not be remembered, because of the unfaithfulness of which he is guilty, and the sin which he has committed, because of them he shall die. Yet you say, verse 25, Yet you say, the way of the Lord is not fair. Hear now, O house of Israel, is it not my way which is fair, and your ways which are not fair? When a righteous man turns away from his righteousness, commits iniquity and dies in it, 
It is because of the iniquity which he has done that he dies. Again, when a wicked man turns away from the wickedness which he committed and does what is lawful and right, he preserves himself alive because he considers and turns away from all the transgressions which he committed. He shall surely live. He shall not die. Verse 29. Yet the house of Israel says, The way of the Lord is not fair. O house of Israel, is it not my ways which are fair, and your ways which are not fair? Therefore I will judge you, O house of Israel, everyone according to his ways, says the Lord God. Repent and turn from all your transgressions, so that iniquity will not be your ruin. Cast away from you all the transgressions which you have committed, and get yourselves a new heart and a new spirit. For why should you die, O house of Israel? For I have no pleasure in the death of one who dies, says the Lord God. Therefore, turn and live. The Israelites had adopted a proverb in regards to God's judgments upon them. And that proverb earlier in the chapter was, The fathers have eaten sour grapes, and the children's teeth are set on edge. And this is to say that the, the Israelites were, were not taking any responsibility for their actions. And, and this was not something new. There are many instances in the scriptures that we could read about that demonstrate that this was a common attitude among men when confronted with their sin. We could consider Adam in Genesis 3 and verse 12, uh, where it reads, Then the man said, uh, of course God has, has confronted Adam, and, and Adam says in Genesis 3 verse 12, Uh, Then the man said, The woman whom you gave to be with me, she gave me of the tree, and I ate. We're familiar with that. In verse 13, when Eve is asked, she says, Well, the the serpent deceived me. Or Aaron. We could think of Aaron. And and this is one that we're all going to be able to readily call to mind. And remember, when Aaron made the golden calf in Exodus chapter 32 and verse 34... One of the, in my opinion, one of the most ridiculous excuses ever made. He says, well, I cast it into the fire and this calf came out. And man is really the same way today when we think about it. Many will make excuses for their their mistakes or make excuses for their sins, blame others for their wrongs. And when dealing with the consequences for their actions, many will refuse to believe that they had anything to do with their current situation. I, we see things like this all the time, and probably what many of us will think of right away are politicians who get caught in scandals. And they, they never just come out and go, you know, I'm sorry, I was wrong. They always find roundabout ways to try and go around the issue without really admitting guilt. You know, probably one of the hardest things any of us have to do is when we have to take the time to examine ourselves. In fact, we often find it a lot easier to notice the problems in other people versus the problems in ourselves. That's really easy to do. But if we want to make sure that we are walking in the footsteps of Christ, we must take the time to examine ourselves. 1 Corinthians 11 and verse 28. But let a man examine himself, and so let him eat of the bread and drink of the cup. Now this again is in the the context of taking the Lord's Supper. But the principle is clear, and and that is that self-examination is important. We could also look at 2 Corinthians chapter 13 and verse 5, another familiar passage to many of us where it reads, Examine yourselves as to whether you are in the faith. Test yourselves. Do you not know yourselves that Jesus Christ is in you? Unless indeed you are disqualified. So, so we ought to be taking the time, and we're told in the scriptures, to take the time to examine ourselves on a regular basis to make sure we're walking with Jesus. And we must do so honestly, accepting all responsibility for the things that we do or maybe the things that we neglect to do. 
The Israelites here in the 18th chapter of Ezekiel were not doing this. They were acting as if the the punishments they received from the Lord were because of the sins of their fathers. In essence, the Israelites were accusing God of, of injustice. And they were basically accusing God as if His judgments were wrong or unfair. And they had come to believe this proverb that they had kind of come up with was truth. And that it was accurate. That a son could bear the guilt of his father when the son had lived righteously. And God rebukes them for this and commands them to no longer use this proverb. It kind of reminds me of how people today sometimes within the church can get really caught up in sayings from... The world, sayings from men and the wisdom of men, and they can get really caught up through influence in those things and forget that those are the thoughts of man and not the thoughts of God. So God rebukes them for this and commands them to no longer use this proverb, and and, and God tells the people that all souls are His. And if a man is just and does what is right, then he shall live. And if that man has a son who does evil, then he shall surely die, the one who does evil. But if if the evil man should have a son, and his son does not follow in the footsteps of his father, but rather chooses to do what is right, then he shall live. And so what I wanted to do this morning is kind of uh, talk about some of the observations and lessons that we can learn through a study of this particular chapter, Ezekiel 18. And there there are lots of observations that we can make, but, but the first thing that really jumps out to me in this chapter is the fact that God takes the time to reason with His people. God, now think about this, God with His absolute authority... That he has over us. His power. He is willing to reason with us. And explain things to us. We have this preserved. We can see this stuff. And he was willing to do that with the people at that time. And and this really should not be a surprise to us. as, As God is our father. He's our heavenly father. And we are his children. And just as we would want to guide our children throughout their lives, He wants to do the same for us. God understands that there are times when we, as His creation, need a little bit more information. Sometimes we just need things spelled out for us. And this is just another manifestation of His care and His love for us. And in this chapter, God feeling that it is necessary, takes the time to provide further instruction on the matter at hand. He provides them with examples to make his point. He addresses the argument that the people had. And then he points out the error of that particular way of thinking. And if you notice, he uses a lot of repetition here in this chapter uh, to make sure that the message is clear. Repetition is good. This chapter is an excellent example of God and His willingness to reason with His people. To provide the information that is necessary for the people to know exactly where God stands. And what a blessing it is, brethren, to have a God who is this concerned about His people and their well-being. The desire to correct them when they're heading down the wrong direction. And there are plenty of other examples that we can find in the Bible where God reasons with His people. We could look to the third chapter of the book of Exodus when the Lord appears to Moses and and tells Moses that he is to go before Pharaoh. And and God is patient with Moses as, as, as Moses expresses his doubts, his concerns. God does not accept any of those excuses that Moses comes up with. But the Lord rather encourages him and tells him, tells Moses of the events that are about to take place so that he can be prepared for what will happen. Exodus chapter 3, starting in verse 15. 
Moreover, God said to Moses, Thus you shall say to the children of Israel, The Lord God of your fathers, the God of Abraham, the God of Isaac, and the God of Jacob, has sent me to you. This is my name forever, and this is my memorial to all generations. Go and gather the elders of Israel together and say to them, The Lord God of your fathers, the God of Abraham, of Isaac, and of Jacob, appeared to me, saying, I have surely visited you and seen what is done to you in Egypt. And I have said, I will bring you up out of the affliction of Egypt to the land of the Canaanites and the Hittites and the Amorites and the Perizzites and the Hivites and the Jebusites to a land flowing with milk and honey. Verse 18, then they will heed your voice. And you shall come, you and the elders of Israel, to the king of Egypt, and you shall say to him, The Lord God of the Hebrews has met with us, and now please let us go three days' journey into the wilderness that we may sacrifice to the Lord our God. But I am sure that the king of Egypt will not let you go. No, not even by a mighty hand. So I will stretch out my hand. And strike Egypt with all my wonders which I will do in its midst. And after that, he will let you go. And I will give this people favor in the sight of the Egyptians. And it shall be when you go that you shall not go empty handed. But every woman shall ask of her neighbor, namely of her who dwells near her house, articles of silver, articles of gold and clothing. And you shall put them on your sons and on your daughters. So you shall plunder the Egyptians. God explained everything that was going to happen. He reasoned with Moses. We can see another example of God's reasoning when he does so with Job. Job, of course, we're familiar with that study of that book. Uh, Job, of course, had been suffering tremendously. He had been crushed by overwhelming trials, including the death of his ten children and being plagued with the most painful disease. And, and, and although he remained faithful, Job struggled with the question as to why he was suffering these great trials. God then speaks to Job out of a whirlwind and gives him many questions to consider. Uh, Job 38, starting in verse 4, where God says to Job, Where were you when I laid the foundations of the earth? Tell me if you have understanding. Who determined its measurements? Surely you know, or who stretched the line upon it? Same chapter, Job 38, verse 16. Have you entered the springs of the sea, or have you walked in search of the depths? Have the gates of death been revealed to you, or have you seen the doors of the shadow of death? Have you comprehended the breadth of the earth? Tell me if you know all this. And then verse 31 of Job 38. Can you bind the cluster of the Pleiades or loose the belt of Orion? Can you bring out Maseroth in its season or can you guide the great bear with its cubs? Do you know the ordinances of the heavens? Can you set their dominion over the earth? You know, these questions that, that God asks of Job go on for three more chapters. With Job ultimately recognizing that God's ways are beyond his comprehension. And so these passages and many others that we could turn to confirm to us that God will take the time to teach His people, to reason with His people, to help them to understand things. And sometimes He's going to take it to Him pretty hard. But God also expects us to reason with others concerning Him. And a great example of this is to consider how the Apostle Paul approached others when he taught. Uh, if you turn to Acts, the 16th chapter, I'm going to read verses 16 and 17. Acts chapter 17, starting in verse 16, and it reads, Now while Paul waited for them at Athens, his spirit was provoked within him when he saw that the city was given over to idols. Verse 17, Therefore he reasoned in the synagogue with the Jews and with the Gentile worshipers, and in the marketplace daily with those who happened to be there. You know, he reasoned in the synagogue. He reasoned with the Gentile worshipers. 
Then Paul goes to the Areopagus, where the philosophers would meet and talk and hear of new things. You can just imagine what that scene might have been like. And Paul attempts to reason with these men as well. Acts 17, verse 22, Then Paul stood in the midst of the Areopagus and said, Men of Athens, I perceive that in all things you are very religious. For as I was passing through and considering the objects of your worship, I even found an altar with this inscription, To the unknown God. Therefore, the one whom you worship without knowing, him I proclaim to you. God, who made the world and everything in it, since he is Lord of heaven and earth, does not dwell in temples made with hands, nor is he worshipped with men's hands as though he needed anything, since he gives to all life, breath, and all things. And he has made from one blood every nation of men to dwell on all the face of the earth, and has determined their pre-appointed times and the boundaries of their dwellings." So that they should seek the Lord in the hope that they might grope for Him and find Him, though He is not far from each one of us. For in Him we live and move and have our being, as also some of your own poets have said, for we are also His offspring. Therefore, since we are the offspring of God, we ought not to think that the divine nature is like gold or silver or stone, something shaped by art and man's devising. Wow, that's reasonable. Here, Paul reasons with these men concerning what they worship and tries to get them to consider the one true God. God's existence and His teachings are reasonable. And when we take the time to reason with others regarding God and His Word, we give them an opportunity to respond to Him. And before we move on, we ought to say something here about how we we teach our children, how we teach our young people. As as God has taken the time to reason with us, we need to take the time to reason with them. Our children will have questions about things regarding God's teaching as they are exposed to the world's views on a variety of issues. I mean, just about daily we're being bombarded with all sorts of different ideas that are contrary to the Word of God. And that's going to have a tremendous effect on our kids. And we need to be ready for that. And are we as parents prepared to reason with them from the Scriptures about why we believe what we do? We need to be. Unfortunately, this doesn't always happen in Christian homes. Young people will have questions But maybe they don't ask them. They don't feel like they can ask them. And you know, we can't be afraid to ask questions. The Bible has the answers. We can look to that and we can find the truth. And so, young people, if you have some questions, if you have some doubts, if you have some concerns, ask us about them. Talk to your parents. Talk to the shepherds. Ask those questions. We, we sometimes, I, I, I think we sometimes get the idea, Travis and I were kind of talking about this yesterday, we sometimes, I think sometimes people get the idea that, well, if I have a question and I have to ask this question, people are going to think my faith is weak. But questions are good. We shouldn't be afraid to ask those questions because we can find the answers. And, and we need to be willing to ask those questions. And so, so that's an appeal to the young people of this congregation. If there are things you don't fully understand, ask those questions. Seek those answers. And there are lots of able-bodied Christians here who will help you and are willing to help you. You know, I, I kind of think of individuals who have been raised in the church you know, and they have since fallen away from the Lord. And you'll try and talk with them about their decision. Try to encourage them to come back to the Lord. And one such conversation went along the lines of, well, I just never did understand that marriage and divorce thing that, that you teach. 
Well, okay, you mean like Matthew 19 and what Jesus says? And, and, and if you never understood that, that, that suggests to me that they had questions about that when they were younger and when they were around brethren and they never asked the question. We have to ask those questions. We have to be willing to look to the scriptures. And as parents, we need... So sometimes we sometimes it's not because we're not willing to reason. Sometimes people don't ask the question. And they have worries that, well, if I do ask this question, I'm going to come under attack. Or another situation that can happen is when people do ask the question... A child does ask the question, and the parent does not take the time to reason with them about it, and to explain the why, and to show them from the scriptures, this is why we believe what we believe. A stern no will be given with no explanation as to the why. And and brethren, I just got to ask, how does this help our children to develop and grow in their own faith, if they're not getting that instruction? So a young person has a question about, well, why can't I participate in this activity? And, you know, my friends at school are asking me about this. And I, I just don't know how to handle it. And, and why, why, why can't I do that? And the parent says, well, you just tell your friends because I said so. And, and, and I think sometimes that's done to try and take the heat off the child. But it doesn't help the child to develop their own faith and to see what they need to see. What they need to in, see in order to grow in their faith. So we need to think about that. We need to consider those things. And we need to be willing to reason with our children. We have to take the time to show our children just how reasonable serving God is. A second lesson here from Ezekiel 18 is that God's ways are fair. Ezekiel 18 verse 24. But when a righteous man turns away from his righteousness and commits iniquity, and does according to all the abominations that the wicked man does, shall he live? All the righteousness which he has done shall not be remembered because of the unfaithfulness of which he is guilty and the sin which he has committed because of them he shall die. And then verse 25, Yet you say, The way of the Lord is not fair. Hear now, O house of Israel, is it not my way which is fair and your ways which are not fair. Here and again in verse 29 of Ezekiel 18, God asked the people to consider the truth, which is that it is actually His ways that are fair and their ways which are not fair. Every start to a school year, I will tell my students... And, you know, the first day of school, we start going over policies and procedures and the course outline. And I will, I will tell my students that I will always do my best to be fair. But, however, being human, I'm going to make some mistakes. And I try to own those when that happens. And, and there have been times when, when I reflect on something I did in the classroom or, or an interaction I had with a student. And I've had to admit that I, I made a mistake there. And I have to confess those. Several years ago, and that's because we're human. We, we make mistakes sometimes. Several years ago, the school where I teach, Nogales High School, the, the um, basketball team got into the semifinals. The varsity, boys' varsity basketball team get in the semifinals, and, and they had to go to Paris and play Paris High School. And this was going to be a big game. And being the farthest that our team had been able to go in the playoffs for many, many years. And, and once it gets to that point, and some of you will realize this, once it gets to that point, you go to, a neutral, you go to a neutral site. So we were out there, but we weren't actually at the same school. We were at a neutral site, but it was out in that direction. And, and, and there's supposed to be neutral officials who are not from either of the areas that the schools come from. And yet, I remember watching that game, and again... It, I'm probably a little biased too, but it really did seem like there were a lot of one-sided calls, more than I'd really seen in any other kind of basketball game that I'd ever been to. And Nogales was the underdog 
We were not expected to win. Paris was expected to win. They were the heavy favorite. And I started wondering if, if even though you're supposed to have you know, neutral officials and a neutral site, and even though these officials are supposed to be neutral, I mean, I, I can't imagine that they don't know who's being favored. I mean, how could you just completely put all that out of your mind? And that knowledge appeared to influence their call of the game. Did it or not? I don't know. Because I could have been just as biased. But it really kind of highlights the fact that as people, as human, we're not always as fair as we might like to think that we are. Incidents like this remind us that even when we strive to be fair, even when we, we think that we are being fair, we may not be. Our feelings about things can be wrong. Our judgments can be wrong. But when it comes to the Lord, when it comes to God, God is always fair. His ways are always right. His ways are always just. Proverbs chapter 3, verses 5 through 8. Trust in the Lord with all your heart. And lean not on your own understanding. In all your ways acknowledge Him, and He shall direct your paths. Do not be wise in your own eyes. Fear the Lord, and depart from evil. It will be health to your flesh, and strength to your bones. Trust in the Lord with all your heart, and lean not on your own understanding. But many people do lean on their own understanding. Many people... Even sometimes brethren will claim that God's ways just are not fair. So, some, some may claim that it's not fair that they have to give up some of their lifestyles because they've become a Christian. You mean I, 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 can't, I can't drink alcohol anymore? I can't go to clubs anymore? I, I do that all the time. And, and uh, you know, I, I, that's just not fair. I, I, that's part of my life. You, you mean I have to change the, the, the way that I dress or, or I may have to change the way I dress or present myself? Uh, maybe it's not modest. I have to do that? Well, it's never been a problem before. It's what everyone else is wearing. That's just not fair. Uh, or I need to change the friends that I have because they're participating in a lot of sinful activities and and they could lead me away with those things. I got to be careful about that now. Well, I, I, you know, I'm not going to do the things that they do. I'm not going to be influenced by those things. Well, why would I need to to stop hanging out with them? That's just that's just not fair. Well, what do you mean I can't associate the same way with with my family members anymore because they have fallen away from the Lord? Well, oh, 1 Corinthians five that doesn't apply to family. It applies to everyone else. What do you mean I, I, I don't have a scriptural right to marry again? Based on Matthew chapter 19 and what Jesus says. Well, doesn't God want me to be happy? That's just not fair. But with each of these examples, and we could come up with more examples if we took the time to, God would say, as He said to the people of Israel, Is it not my ways that are fair, and your ways that are not fair? God's ways are always fair. We may not like it. We, we, we may be able to easily understand what's being said in the scriptures. And that might cut us to the heart. And we might not like what it says. But it's fair. Because God is the one who came up with it. God's ways are fair. Always and we need to be able to see that. A third point. We also learn that God has provided man with a choice. Man always has a choice. That choice is always available. Man can either choose to serve God and keep his commandments. Or he can choose not to. We get to make the choice. Not someone else. Not our parents. Not our grandparents. Not our friends. Not our spouses, but us. We will not be held responsible for what someone else decides to do, whether good or bad. 
The decision to serve God is our choice to make. So we look back at Ezekiel 18 and verse 27. Again, when a wicked man turns away from the wickedness which he committed and does what is lawful and right, he preserves himself alive because he considers and turns away from all the transgressions which he committed. He shall surely live. He shall not die. I was also reminded of Revelation chapter 3. Of course, in these letters to the seven churches and Jesus takes them the task for things, tells them what's going well, and also takes them the task for things that are not going well, things that they need to change. And so you look at Revelation chapter 3, uh, verse 18, this is in the midst of what was, to, what was to be written to the church of the Laodiceans. And we know that the Laodiceans uh, talks about Jesus knowing their works in verse 15, that you are neither cold nor hot. I could wish you were cold or hot. And then verse 16, So then, because you are lukewarm, and neither cold nor hot, I will vomit you out of my mouth. And we did a lesson on that not too long ago. These individuals have become lukewarm. They didn't have that fire for the Lord anymore. But they weren't completely cold either. They were just kind of going through the motions. But notice what it says in verse 18, which really gets us back to this concept, this idea of how we always have a choice. And there's always a choice available. And verse 18 of Revelation 3. And Jesus says to them, I, I counsel you to buy from me gold refined in the fire that you may be rich and white garments that you may be clothed that the shame of your nakedness may not be revealed. And anoint your eyes with eye salve that you may see. There are things you can do. I am counseling you to make the choice to do these things. Verse 19, as many as I love, I rebuke and chasten, therefore be zealous and repent. You can choose to do that. Verse 20, behold, I stand at the door and knock. If anyone hears my voice and opens the door, again, a choice that you can make, opens the door, I will come in to him and dine with him and he with me. Man always has a choice. And that kind of relates to our next point, is the fact that along with this choice comes the ability to change. Man can change. And that's, I think, one of the most encouraging messages from this passage and from the Bible in general, is the fact that man has the ability to change his ways. God has made it so. He has created us so that we can change if we desire to. And not only can we change, but we can be found acceptable in the sight of the Lord if we do. No matter what we have done in the past. No matter what sins we have committed before. If we change, we repent, we come to Jesus. We're forgiven of those things. How great our God is. And so we go back to Ezekiel 18 and verse 30, where it reads, Therefore I will judge you, O house of Israel, everyone according to his ways, says the Lord God. Repent and turn from all your transgressions, so that iniquity will not be your ruin. Verse 31, Cast away from you all the transgressions which you have committed, and get yourselves a new heart and a new spirit. For why should you die, O house of Israel? So we not only learn from this passage that, that we can change, but God also tells us how to change. You know, He tells us to repent and turn away from all our transgressions, and He says that we are to cast away all of our sins that we have committed. We can turn from those things, cast them away. That may take time, it may take some effort. But it can be done. So I'm reminded of what Jesus teaches on the Sermon on the Mount. Matthew chapter 5 and verse 29 where Jesus says, If your right eye causes you to sin, pluck it out and cast it from you. For it is more profitable for you that one of your members perish than for your whole body to be cast into hell. And if your right hand causes you to sin, cut it off and cast it from you. For it is more profitable for you that one of your members perish than for your whole body to be cast into hell. 
Now, 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 Jesus here is not saying that we should all go and literally pluck our eyes out and cut off our hands. But rather, it's an illustration of how serious sin is and that it is much better for us to make sacrifices here in this life than to be cast into hell and lose our eternal souls. Jesus is saying that we need to remove anything from our lives that can cause us to stumble. Anything that can tempt us and lead us to sin. And so years ago, there was a movie called Fireproof. And some of you might remember this. This is, this is lots of years ago. And it was about this movie, Fireproof. It was about a couple experiencing problems in their marriage. And one aspect of the movie is that the husband had become addicted to pornography on the internet. And, and at one point... Uh, in the film, uh, he recognizes that he needs to change. And, and there's a dramatic scene where he takes the computer outside and throws it in the trash. And, and, and what a tremendous example that was of one's willingness to do anything that he could to separate himself from sin. And God expects us to do whatever we can to keep ourselves free from sin. And we can make changes. We can make those changes. We can be different. We don't have to stay the way that we are. In addition to casting away or turning away from sin, God tells us back in Ezekiel 18 that we need to get a new heart and a new spirit. It's simply not good enough if we just put off the sin or turn away from it. That's an essential part, but it can't be the only thing we do. We have to work on getting a new heart and a new spirit. Psychologists, you know, for years have told of the importance of substituting bad behaviors with better, more productive or healthy behaviors. And as a result, most people have come to realize that if they have some sort of bad habit or a behavior that is unwanted, they, then they must adopt a new and better behavior to replace it. But this principle here, this advice works really because it's from God. Who knows more, after all, about the human mind than, than our Creator? Thus God understands that we need to not only turn from sin, but we need to replace it with righteousness. Ephesians chapter 4, verses 17 through 24. This I say therefore in testifying the Lord that you should no longer walk as the rest of the Gentiles walk in the futility of their mind, having their understanding darkened, being alienated from the life of God because of the ignorance that is in them, because of the blindness of their heart, who, being past feeling, have given themselves over to lewdness to work all uncleanness with greediness. Verse 20 of Ephesians 4, But you have not so learned Christ, if indeed you have heard Him and have been taught by Him, as the truth is in Jesus, that you put off concerning your former conduct the old man which grows corrupt according to the deceitful lusts, and be renewed in the spirit of your mind, and that you put on the new man which was created according to God. In true righteousness and holiness. If, if we fail to put on the new man. If we fail to replace the bad behaviors in our uh, lives. With new righteous behaviors that are pleasing to the Lord. Then we will find ourselves drifting back towards the sinful behavior that we had originally put off. Or we will become involved in a completely different sin that separates us from God. Any of us in here who have struggled with trying to break bad habits or turning away from sin, you already know this to be true. And this is why. You know, how, how, you know I love that. Verse 23, be renewed in the spirit of your mind. Well, how does that happen? Well, it happens by spending time with God's Word. It happens by spending time with God's people. It happens by being at worship. It happens by being engaged in prayer and developing a relationship with God. This is why we need to be studying and meditating on God's Word. This is why we need to spend time in prayer to God. This is why we need to worship Him and, and remember the great sacrifice that Christ made for us. This is why we need to be at Bible class or, or, or any other really meeting with the brethren so we 
have the opportunity to edify and encourage one another. Because Satan is working overtime as soon as we walk out those doors. Sometimes he's found his way into the local churches as well. These things help us to put on the new man. We need to participate in that. We need to take advantage of those opportunities. If we're not here, we're missing out. And it's not going to be too much of a surprise if we're not here regularly that we may start to have some troubles. God has provided these opportunities for us. And of course, as elders, we have seen, hey, here's what we're trying to do so we can accomplish the work of the church. We want you to be a part of that. God wants us to change and become more like Jesus. And He has made us so that we can, in fact, change. He has provided us with all the instruction we need so that we can do this, so that we can be successful. And He has provided numerous examples in the Bible who did change. And the Apostle Paul is one that comes to mind right away. You think about what his life was like. Before he met Jesus on the road to Damascus. And then what he became. You think about the apostles. You think about Peter. And what he was like. And the impulsiveness and the issues that he had. Denying Christ. And then not too far in the future, he's giving the first gospel sermon. We can change. That's encouraging. And finally this morning, something I think is very encouraging and a good point to end on is that God wants man to succeed. He wants us to succeed. Ezekiel 18 verse 32 where the Lord says through Ezekiel, for I have no pleasure in the death of one who dies, says the Lord God, therefore turn and live. God is not out to get us. He wants all of us to be saved. 1 Timothy chapter 2 verses 3 and 4. For this is good and acceptable in the sight of God our Savior who desires all men to be saved and to come to the knowledge of the truth. God cares about each and every one of us. And He wants us to be successful. He wants us to succeed. You know, did you ever have teachers in school who you felt were just kind of out to get you like like it's just it's like you couldn't just do you just couldn't do anything right for them you, you, you kind of felt as 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 if they just wanted to fail as many kids as possible i had a couple teachers like that it's one of the reasons i decided to become a teacher because i said well, i could do better than this but some of us have probably experienced things like that And thankfully, this is not the case when it comes to our God. God is on our side, and He does not want us to fail. But God is also fair and just, and He will not tolerate us if we continue in sin. And so, as I'm often reminded of, and I know I've mentioned this before, so I'll keep it brief, but I mean, at the end of every school year, right before final grades are about to go in, You know, we have issues with students coming up and they're going to fail the class. It's too late at this point. So I'm not happy about that. I'm not happy about when a student fails my class. In fact, I, I often wonder why they chose to do so because there were so many opportunities for them to be successful. And so when a student fails, it's because they have failed to take advantage of the opportunities that were presented before them to pass. They failed to do the necessary work. They, they, they failed to do the makeup work. They, they failed to attend class regularly. Uh, maybe they failed to participate in class. Uh, maybe they failed to prepare for tests. And, uh, you know, there's a lot of different things. And there's lots of opportunities. And, and it never seems to fail. As soon as we get close to the end of the semester, these students who are failing, sometimes with ridiculously low percentages, Come and ask me what they can do to pass. 
And they ask, okay, is there extra credit work? Is there anything that they can do? And some of them come close to pleading. And if there's a little bit of time left, yeah, maybe I can work with them. But I, I, I got to tell you, sometimes I've had kids that come with a couple weeks and say, okay, well, here's a couple things you could do. And then they don't do those. And that's the last day. Is there anything I can do? And I have to tell them that it's too late. And sometimes this happens to kids who are actually pretty nice people. We, we, we sometimes kind of have this idea that, well, the kids who, who do that, they're, they're not, not nice kids, right? No, they can be nice kids. They can be funny. They can be friendly. They're polite. They can be respectful. They actually sometimes will help me out with things in the classroom. They're good to their friends. They're thoughtful. But when it came to completing the assignments in the class, the requirements for, the, for my class, they, they didn't do it. And I was there for them every day. And I warned them of what was coming. Oh yeah, I know Mr. Woodside, I'll get it done. And they never did. I wanted them to succeed. I gave them opportunities to succeed. But they didn't take advantage of those opportunities. And you know, the same is true with God. He wants us to succeed. He has provided a way for us to be acceptable in His sight. He has sent His Son, Jesus, to be the propitiation for our sins. He has told us what we can do to be right with Him. We just have to make the decision to obey the gospel and serve Him. But I fear that there are going to be a lot of people... Well, actually, Jesus says this at the end of the Sermon on the Mount, so it's going to happen. There are going to be a lot of people on the Day of Judgments that will be pleading with God to give them another chance. And sadly, it will be too late for them. God does not want anyone to be in that situation. He has no pleasure in the death of one who dies. He wants all of us to be saved. But he also expects us to keep his commandments and to obey him. God has told us what we need to do. And he has been very clear. And now it is up to us to obey him. I hope this lesson has been helpful to you. Reminders from Ezekiel 18. Some good lessons that still hold true to us today. And if you're not a Christian, why would you wait? Why would you not become one? Why would you not give your life to Jesus? If you know what the Bible teaches, you know what it is that God expects from you, why would you delay? If you believe that Jesus Christ is the Son of God, that He died so that we could have our sins forgiven, you can obey Him today. You can be baptized for the remission of sins and be raised to walk in newness of life. Or perhaps you've been not walking as the way you need to and you've been struggling. Maybe you've sinned in a public manner. Maybe you just need the prayers of the congregation. Please let us help you. If you you have anything that you need at all, we are willing and able to assist you. And no matter what your need may be, we invite you to come as we stand and sing the songs been selected.